Bibles and turn to 1 Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 29 and verse number 9. 1 Chronicles 29.9, the message is entitled, A Perfect-Hearted Offering. A Perfect-Hearted Offering. Let's read that one verse, verse number 9, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 9, and then uh, we'll ask the Lord's blessings and then get into the message. Verse number 9 of 1 Chronicles 29 says this, Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Right in the middle of that verse, says they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered. They offered willingly with a perfect heart. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you help us to understand some things that would make a difference for us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you just uh, uh, help us to understand uh, the, the message in these your words that mean something for us today. Lord, I pray for that one that's here without Christ. They might have religion. They might have a, um, a pattern of good works or of efforts or of sincerity, but they're not born again. So, Lord, I pray that you help them to understand what you offer and how that they need to be saved, and unless they're saved, they're not going to make heaven. So, Lord, I pray that you'd make these things clear. Help us to understand where we, where we stand with you. So, Lord, I pray for uh, that one who needs to come to Christ to be saved. I pray that you make things extremely clear today. I pray for believers that, Lord, as we serve and as we labor and we do anything for you, offer anything to you, sacrifice for you, that we would do it with a perfect heart. Lord, help us to understand what that means and then to have a relationship with you, to have a perfect heart before you. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd uh, uh, give light to your word, but then also help us to see where we are in the scheme of things and you're dealing with us in our lives and our growth and our maturity and our, our uh, walk with you. Lord, I pray that you be with us this, uh, this hour. We ask that you, you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Remember David's appeal at the end of verse number 5 in that chapter, 1 Chronicles 29. He was talking about the things that he was going to be giving to the Lord, the, the gold, things of gold, silver for things of silver. And he, he goes on and then he says, And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? It was a simple ask. He asked the folks, okay, now who wants to do this? This is what I'm doing. Who wants to join me in serving the Lord here? And so he asked them to pitch in. And then they had the results. Verse number 9. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Last week, when we were here in this passage, uh, we said that David's simple ask was that he asked, number one, willing service from the people. He asked a personal sacrifice that they would sacrifice like he did. And then with great celebration, they rejoiced, and they, that's what they did. They actually uh, uh, jumped in. They rejoiced in serving and in giving. It's at their response that we're going to park today. The simple phrase, with perfect heart, in our text. With perfect heart. That phrase somehow changes the sacrifice from being burdensome to being a blessing. From an offering, a sacrifice that might look to be ex excessive to become expected. 
with a perfect heart changes an offering from waste to worship's reasonable due because they offered with a perfect heart. Now the heart in our text is the Hebrew word, and I don't know that I can pronounce it properly. I'm not, I don't know Hebrew, but I, I use my concordance and my uh, uh, tools just like you do. Uh, the word there is a Hebrew word, leb, I think it's pronounced. Uh, the definition is the heart or the feelings or the will and the intellect of a person. It's a word to refer to the center of everything, the center of things, the core. We understand the term heart to mean main or central or the kernel or the core of things. The heart of the matter. We're, we're familiar with phrases like that, the heart of the matter, the heart of the universe, the heart of the problem. Now, in this context, we understand a perfect heart to refer to the condition of our inner being, our emotion, our will, our core. It's the condition of who we are that is so connected to our emotional being that we can easily understand the meaning of verses that deal with heart, like Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. So it's talking about a heart that's merry or a heart that's heavy or broken. Um, it's the heart that affects every part of our lives, our attitudes. Our emotional well-being is, is connected to our heart, to our core. That's who we are. Studies have been engaged to actually gauge the effect of humor as it has part in the healing process. They've actually studied this and uh, showed what, what humor and laughter does for a patient that is recovering or uh, recovering from a disease or a surgery or whatever. And it's amazing that, that sure enough, the Bible's correct when it says, uh, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. They agree with the Bible. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> the, the Bible is continually proved to be accurate and true. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Proverbs 25, 20, uh, 12, 25 says, Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. It's talking about the condition of our heart, heaviness. A glad or a heavy heart will affect our outlook, our performance, our effectiveness in whatever it is that we're engaged in. Proverbs 15, 13, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. You know, that's your... Face, that's your attitude. I'm trying to get a hold of Danny on this side before she's saying, well, those girls did such a good job, such a good job. And so finally she looked over to me and I'm going, <laughs> and then she starts smiling. And then, then it's going to detract from what she's thinking. So <laughs> I just want you to smile, that's all. But, uh, your, your heart affects your face, your countenance. That's what it says. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow, of the heart, the spirit is broken. It goes on to verse 14, the heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. If you have a merry heart, doesn't matter what's going on. The song today from Brother Matt, great song about Paul and Silas, in the prison, there in uh, the book of Acts, oh, I believe it's Acts chapter 16 that came out of 
where uh, they were singing praises to the God. No matter, uh, no matter what took place, no, no matter the difficulties, the trials, the persecution that they were enduring at the time, man, they were praising God. They had a merry heart. And that's what it says. A merry heart has a continual feast. The merry heart apparently changes a person's countenance or their facial expression. Here also we can see that the heart can develop an understanding. It talks about the heart of him that hath understanding in verse number 14 of that verse in Proverbs. Seeing it's tied to our intellect. I'd like for you to read this one in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That's important to understand that. God's love made known. We, we are connected with God's love in our hearts because he's making these things known by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when, and, and this is what he's talking about. This is the love of God that's being con conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for the ones who needed it, for sinners. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love. He showed, he manifested his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What love? What love? What, what, a, what an unbelievable, what a unique, what a going beyond Anything that we have ever experienced in any realm, that's God's love. And it's the heart that responds to the love of God. It says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. God is speaking to our hearts with his love. It's not merely the intellect. We don't merely acknowledge that God loved us, but this is an advance that requires our hearts to become engaged to respond and reciprocate our love to God. What a wonderful thing to, to fully and to understand finally that God loves me. He, he loves me. The love of God that is, that is positioned toward me. Wow, his amazing love for us. Now, for you that need to be saved, you've never been born again, you must understand that the singular love of God for your soul must be responded to. Spirit of God is, is shining that, is shedding that love abroad in our hearts, and it's the Spirit of God that's connecting, that's saying God loves you, and God, and He's getting getting this across, speaking to your heart about that. But you you must understand that the singular love of God for your soul must be responded to. God will not force His way upon you. I mentioned that last week, I think it was. He'll not force his way upon you, nor compel you to accept his redemption. You must receive that love. You've got to receive his love. You must accept that love, his gift of the payment in full for your sin, so that you can be reunited with your creator. The simple verse, John 1.12, But as many as receive Jesus, is speaking there in the context of talking about Christ, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, and now it talks about being born of God. This is how the, the new birth, the being born again. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. How do you get born of God? Anybody that receives him, puts their trust, their faith in Christ, becomes born 
of God. John 3, 3. Jesus was very, very emphatic in trying to get this across to, remember he's talking to a spiritual leader, somebody who taught the Bible in that day. And he was missing it. He's got so many other things, but he's missing the crew, the heart of the matter, if you will. He's missing it, the, the, the message that must get across to Nicodemus, to you, to me, to religious people today. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This putting your trust and faith in his sacrifice, receiving him, brings about that divine birth. That's being born again. You remember, it's been he's received him. Those are the ones that were born of God. Without responding to his love for you, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Do you hear what I said, friend? Unless you respond. You see, the ball's in your court. Unless you respond to his love for you, you're not going to heaven. Not, not accepting what I'm talking about, the love of Christ, not accepting his love here is rejecting. Do you understand what that means? If you don't say yes, you are saying no. Not saying yes to him is saying no. There is no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's no undecided here. Although many want to be undecided. Many want to not make this choice. Let me just hear, lay it on the table. Let me consider it. Uh, but, but don't make me responsible to choose. People want to do that. They, they want to be in a, a middle ground, an undecided land. There's, there's no undecided here. You are either for him or you're against him. Jesus makes it explicitly clear when he said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth, in Luke chapter 11. Very clear. He says there is no in-between. You're either on this side or you're on this side. You can't be both. You can't be undecided. No, no. If you're not for me, then you're against me. If you don't say yes to this love that is extended to you, that you're required to make a, a decision upon, then you are saying no. Well, preacher, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying uh, wait. Someday. No, no, no. That means no today. That means I, I reject it right now. Yeah, you might consider that someday you're going to get saved, uh, but that means no. If you're, if you're here today, you know that you need to be born again. You've never repented of your sins and, and given your life to Christ. You've never done that. You need to be born again, and you're considering that, and you're not opposed to that, or you think in your, in your heart. You're not opposed to that. I'm not, I'm not contrary to God. Uh, excuse me, Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. If you don't say yes in this area, you are saying no. There is no indecision with Christ. Jesus made that ex extremely clear. You vote for or against him. Wait now means no. Right now. Later means no now. 
Either you respond to his love or you reject it. But make no mistake about it, everyone decides, folks. Everybody makes that decision. Whether you want to be making that decision or don't want to be making that decision, you've decided. And it's upon what you do with Jesus. Everyone decides, just as Pilate asked the weighty question. Each and every person makes that choice of what to do with the Savior. Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was before Pilate in judgment. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What will you do with Jesus? How will you respond to his great love for you? What he did for you? The question comes to you, comes to all of us. What will you do with Jesus? The question you've got to grapple with today right now is what will I do with Jesus? But by far, the heaviest question that you'll ever hear is in that celestial courtroom before the great white judgment throne of God. What did you do with Jesus? Now, that's the most important question in all of eternity for you. What did you do with Christ. Will your mind return to the scene at about 11.54 a.m. on March 10th, 2019, when the preacher begged you to consider Christ? You see, in that great white throne, as we know prophecy and how things will, will uh, uh, play out, however long you live here on earth, let's say this is your last day of breathing God's air here. And then you go off into eternity tonight. Let's say you live another 10 years. Let's say you're, you live another 50 years. But this life is over with. And when Jesus comes back, you're going to see that uh, seven years of great tribulation and going into the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. So at least a thousand plus some years from now, you're going to be facing that great white throne judgment as the Bible says, you can open the book up in Revelation chapter 20 and you can read those words when the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. You see, you will be judged at that point. The question is, at, at that point, what did you do with Jesus? I wonder how well you're going to recall the Holy Spirit working on your heart today. Then it'll be way back. I mean, it's got a long time ago. But you might think of this morning today where, the, where God impressed upon you that you must be saved. Spirit of God speaking to your heart saying, run to that pardon. Back then, that day in church, you were asked, what will you do with Jesus? But then in the light of that courtroom scene, that will seem like so long ago. No, no, no you intended on making peace with God. I remember when I was considering Christ, before I came to Christ, I thought, well, yeah, before I, before I die, someday I'm going to go ahead and get saved. I remember as a teenager having friends of mine OD on drugs and doing the things that I was into, and, and they were gone. They were no more. It was too late for them, but I thought to, to myself all along, well, yeah, someday. You know what? You might be thinking that thing right now today, someday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a believer. You fully intend someday to, to be saved. You assume that 
that uh, uh, sooner or later you're going to make the plunge, you're going to get saved. But Satan, the master deceiver and craftsman, craftsman, he plays every card, performs every trick in the book to get you to, to ignore it, to forget about it, to be thinking about something else, focus on something else. And then you believe that, that yeah, you'd, you'd say yes to the Savior, but just not now. Later, tomorrow, manana, someday. <coughs> but that someday never came. <coughs> and then you'll, re be, you'll be responsible for your life, for your decision, for your choice. See, because in the moment, be honest, right now you fully understand that not accepting him is in essence rejecting him because that's what Jesus said. You're not dumb. You understand that. You, you understand what that means. You just don't want to think about that right now. You want to want to pretend like Jesus didn't say those words. It is not that is not with me is against me. If you're not for me, then then you're contrary to me. Not saying yes to him is saying no. And you'll then be counted with the others who rejected Christ. His love for you spurned his sacrifice to pay for your sin. No, then it's going to be too late. You've one of those who have rejected. And then you'll pay the just penalty for your sin to be cast into the lake of fire to spend the, the rest of your eternity with the damned and with the doomed. When John 1.12 says, but as many as received him <coughs> to them gave you power to become the sons of God. It's right there in your hands and your power today. But you're saying, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to respond to his love to me today. What will you do with Jesus? Let me, let me beg you. Receive his love. Make him your savior. It's a matter of your heart. The love of God is, is being made manifest by the Holy Spirit in your heart that, that while we're yet sin sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you that much to die for you. Make him your Savior. It's an issue of the heart, friend. So anyway, getting back to our text. In David's day, when he's speaking to the children of Israel, they offered willingly, the Bible says, with perfect heart. It doesn't say with a perfect heart. It says with perfect heart. The condition of their heart cannot be downplayed in their service, their labor, their sacrifice. It's so important. Listen, the condition of their heart is so very important. The Hebrew word for our English word perfect in the text, you know, with perfect heart. That word perfect in Hebrew is, if I can pronounce it correctly, shalem, meaning complete, especially friendly. It's translated Elsewhere in our Bible as full or just or made ready or peaceable, perfected or perfect, whole. Whole because of a transaction that brought about peace. It's from an identical word, shalom, and we, we're familiar with that, shalom, peace, like Jerusalem is the uh, city of peace. It, it, it's shalom, the root word, means to be safe or in body or mind or state to be uh, causat causatively or made completed or friendly, to be made complete. An action that made us to be friendly. In our Bible, it's translated to make amends or make good or repay 
or uh, make to be to be at peace or peaceable. Make restitution to restore. It's it's the the whole connotation of the word a perfect heart is someone who has been uh, uh, made peace with. God makes peace with us through His sacrifice on Calvary. The idea of a perfect heart is a heart that has been restored, a heart that is complete and that's whole and that has peace because of an action of restoration and making an amends to, bringing peace. An application, a perfect heart is a heart that is reconciled, a heart that is restored, a heart that is, if you will, forgiven. And these people enjoyed that, and they came with a perfect heart, a heart that was forgiven pardoned. It's because of that forgiveness, that pardon, that I'm in the condition of enjoying peace with God today. I remember when I finally made peace with God. What a, what a wonderful thing that he wasn't at that point and no longer at enmity with me. I was not at enmity with God, but I was accepted because of Calvary because of what Jesus did, because of his great love for me. He, he provided my pardon. And now having peace with God, I have that kind of a heart that they're talking about, a perfect heart, a heart that has been made friendly through that reconciliation, a heart of acceptance. See, I love him now, and I can worship, and I can serve and offer willingly to him with that kind of a heart, that perfect heart. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A person can have, be at peace with God and have that kind of relationship with the Lord to be able to offer willingly with perfect heart. So the people were able to offer these gifts to the Lord in our text with that perfect heart, a heart that was forgiven or drawn to have peace with God, to be able fully to accept and return His love. Because I've been forgiven, I can love him. It's only after one experiences the love of God that then they're able to reciprocate that love. That's why David was so intent on getting across that the people and later his son Solomon offered from a heart in that condition. David's prayer in his, later in that text in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, look at verse number 18. He said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of this people and prepare their heart unto thee. See, because he knew when he's talking about them offering, he says, God, help them to approach in, in that accepted, in that, in that reconciled way. Prepare their heart unto thee, verse 19, and give unto Solomon, my son, a, same words, exactly the same words, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and give unto Solomon uh, uh, and, and uh, thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. He says, God, he's got a big job to do. Help him to come and to do these things with a perfect heart. A perfect heart was exactly the same words. A heart that was amended, that was reconciled, that was pardoned. A perfect-hearted offering uh, would be these three things. A, a perfect-hearted offering, number one, recognizes his redemption. When one is forgiven, when one is pardoned, 
when he's accepted, then he can offer properly. Only a believer who has ever experienced the love and the grace of God can offer the right kind of an offering <coughs> with that kind of a heart, with a perfect heart. You remember Cain. I've uh, referred back to this. This is a, just a, an, a wonderful illustration of that heart that is forgiven, and that's therefore when you deal with God, you can offer that kind of an offering. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, let's read it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. <clears throat> and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings <coughs> of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, we, we're not told here because this just gives the facts of this story. But God spoke with Abraham, with uh, Adam and Eve. God spoke directly with them. God instructed them directly. He, he uh, conversed with them directly. These boys, they knew. They had knowledge of what was acceptable to God and what was unacceptable to God. And God obviously had made that clear that it was the lamb. It was a lamb of the, of the, the flock that was the... And, and Maybe they didn't understand all of this back then, but it was the foreshadow of Jesus to come. He was going to be, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb. Here's, behold, the Lamb, Jesus, that, that taketh away the sin of the world. It was all a picture of God reconciling man through Jesus. His love to us by, by allowing Jesus to pay for our sin, be our substitute on the cross. And that was a, a foreshadow. That, that was the acceptable sacrifice, and they knew it. God wouldn't require something that they didn't know. They knew that, obviously, because the way he spoke to, to Cain afterwards. Because here, you know, Cain was instructed, this is ex the acceptable offering, and that's all, not anything else. But, well, he was a gardener, and so he, did, he worked hard, I'm sure. By the sweat of his brow, the Bible says, men tilled the, the field. And, and it was hard, but he brought these things, and this was my works and <coughs> what I can do and my sincerity and my efforts and and that was not acceptable. And so Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. Verse 7, If thou doest well, God says to Cain, shalt not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. See, what God was saying was, now listen, Cain, uh, if... You got a problem here, and things are not right, you can get right. Why? Because sin lieth at the door. He's talking about the, the offering that you can do the same thing that Abel did. <coughs> Take a lamb. Here's the lamb that was hanging around. He's, he's in the sin offering right there. It's lying at the door. You can be right with me. God was making it clear. You can have a relationship. with. We can have that, that, that uh, uh, amiable, that friendship, that love. And it's only through the sacrifice. But no, Cain didn't want to do that. He wasn't going to go God's way. He wasn't going to choose what God said to choose to, to, to be right. And then you know the story. You see, there was a break in fellowship. <clears throat> Why the rejection? Why did God reject his offering? Well, can it be that consistently God instructed men exactly what was acceptable what was not acceptable, God made that clear. 
the lamb from the beginning, a foreshadow of the Savior that would become the substitute for sin, the just for the unjust, but Cain, like men over the centuries, like we might have some here in this auditorium this morning, have devised ways to be right with God apart from the only acceptable offering. Well, I'm just going to be sincere, and that's got to be good enough to God. Well, really? No, no. That's not acceptable. He made it clear. If if you don't have peace with God because uh, your own efforts and your own ways and whatever, you're, oh, well, I was baptized. That doesn't make you saved. No, 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 no. There's... The, the offering for sins right here. Do it right. Make, make that, that transaction with me through the blood of Christ. And God said there was right there at the door to use a lamb, a sin offering. But instead of getting right with God, he stuck with his failing attempts at being right with God and, and he brought his own offering. Folks, if you're not born again, you're not forgiven, you've never been pardoned from your sin, you cannot, you cannot properly offer because you don't have a perfect heart. You're, you don't have a heart that's been reconciled, forgiven, pardoned. You must first recognize his love and his salvation provided to you. And you know what? If you don't recognize that, then everything else in your dealing with God, it doesn't, it's, it's secondary. The most important thing is Jesus dying for you that had to happen, that must have taken place for you to be reconciled to God. Some people think, well, you know, I do good, or I'm religious, or I, you know, and, and fill in the blank. All kinds of things that they put in there saying, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm doing this and this. Hey, listen, none of that, n- all of that is secondary to what God says, which is the, the salvation provided through his lamb, through his offering for sin through his own son. And so you've got to first recognize his love and that salvation that was provided for you. Everything else pales in comparison to his love shown to you on Calvary. So a perfect hearted offering is number one, one that recognizes his redemption. A perfect hearted offering is one that reflects the redeemer. The Israelites in the Old Testament, when God set up for his people to offer sacrifice to him, he made it clear that it was supposed to be an offering from their flocks, from their herds, from what they had, and it was to be the best, the best that they had. Leviticus chapter 22, verse number 19. Read along with me. Verse number uh, 19 of Leviticus 22, he says, He shall offer at your own will a male without blemish. That means no blems, no, no uh, uh, marks, uh, no, no uh, problems, here, here was going to be uh, um, a, uh, a lamb that was perfect, if you will. No, no obvious blemishes of the beeves, of the sheep, or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish shall ye not offer. God says, now that's not acceptable. If there's, you know, a three-legged uh, lamb that you got, you know, it's going to die, it's kind of, you know, sick and whatever, and it's... it's uh, uh, diseased or something. He says, no, no, that's not acceptable. For it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice, a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. 
blind or broken or maimed or having a wren or scurvy or scab, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land, verse 24 says. You're not to do that. Do not do, don't, and God says, don't bring me that junk. Don't bring me the off-scouring. Don't bring me that which is less than the best that you have, the, the perfect. See, God was clear. Your offering was to be fitting for the king, the creator, your God, the best, not bargain basement blems. <coughs> Some treat the church like it's secondhand store. That, you know, well, this is just junk. We're going to, you know, throw it in a dumpster. But, you know, maybe uh, the church could have this, so they give it to the church. No, nah, don't do that. How about, how about giving your best? How about offering to the Lord something that is, that is valued? Um, but that's what happened when they offered with a defiled heart. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse number 8. God has a... a, a a bone to pick with the Israelites. He says, and if you now, uh, and if you offer the blind <clears throat> for sacrifice, is it not evil? He says, that's not good. You're out of bounds there. People, I told you, if you're going to offer, it's going to be perfect, without blem, without disease. That's what you offer to be. But if you, if you offer something that's blind or something that's handicapped, he says, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? He says, yeah, okay, you, you want to you know, impress some dignitary that comes over to your house? Say, hey, honey, go kill that diseased lamb out there. You know the one that's dying? You know, it's got flies on it already and everything. Go kill that one and put it on the table because, uh, you know, uh, our uh, politician is here. We want to impress him. He says, you wouldn't do that, but you do that for me? Oh, well, it's going to die anyway, so let's just kill it and offer it on the offering instead of taking some of the best. That's what they're saying. You know, they're saying, how much is this going to cost me? So let's not do that. Let's go ahead, and it's something that's going to die anyway, something that's, that's, that's blemished, go ahead and offer that. He says, you wouldn't do that to, to your governor? Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 13. He said also, behold, what a weariness it is and ye have snuffed at it saith the Lord of hosts and ye brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick thus ye brought an offering should I accept this of your hand saith the Lord but cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing for I am a great king saith the Lord of hosts and my name is dreadful among the heathen you take something that's lame or something that's corrupt something that you don't value <coughs> and God says, that's not good. It's not acceptable. Let me share something with you that when I was, my, I think it was the second year that I was married, the third year that I was married, and I was just learning this married stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, as a man, and men, we all think alike, you know, logical, we're, you know, whatever, and we, you know, you want to save a buck and whatever, and, you know, you get something for your wife, what, you know, that's going to just die and something that's worthless, you know, you're not going to do that, you know, you get something that she could use, like a vacuum cleaner or something like that, but um, anyway, so here I am, and, and my anniversary's coming up, and I'm, I'm a Bible college student at the time, and I don't have money anyway, and so I do the best that I can with what I have, and, and I was in some kind of a dime store or Target or something like that, and I came across this bargain table. You know, it's, it's the, 
the cheap stuff that they were going to throw in the dumpster, except they're going to last-ditch effort to try to sell it. Slash the prices. This was someone says this and this and this. You can almost get it for free. And there was a travel iron. A, a, <laughs> a portable, oh, not portable, what do you call that? You know, it was a mobile, it was a portable travel iron that you can travel with, you know, and you know, every once in a while we, you know, go someplace and you have a, a suit or whatever, it might not be a travel iron or the, an iron in the hotel. So I thought, this is really cool. And it was like, I don't know, it was, you know, 20 bucks that was slashed down 50%, you know, and, you know, 9.95 and, you know, and then, and then slashed again and slashed again. I got it for like $2.30, you know, it's a, yeah, now that's cool. Uh, guys, you get what you pay for, by the way. It never worked. <laughs> it, it was so cheap. No wonder what is it? <laughs> the bargain. Anyway, so I'm thinking to myself, this is great. I'm, oh, wow, look at this. I really did a good job. Cha-ching, I did it. Not only am I going to honor my wife, but I'm going to do this cheaply. It's not going to cost me a lot, you know. Wrap that baby up. I gave it to her. <laughs> I'll never forget when she opened it up. <laughs> Boy, did I learn. Don't ever do this at home, okay. Anyway, she opens it up, and she looks at it. And I remember her going, she, she had this whimper laugh. <laughs> Immediately, I knew something was wrong. And I'm so dense, I don't know. I didn't get it. Honey, don't you know what a bargain this is? You know? Anyway. <clears throat> Folks, that did not work, okay? But boy, did I ever learn. A gift expresses my value for the receiver. Do you understand what that means? And by the way, a little marriage counseling here. Guys, spend it for your wife. She's worth gold to you. She's worth more than you have. Honor her. Cherish her. So it's going to be flowers that are just gone in three days and that was your you know, lunch for two weeks. But hey, that's all right. You know why? Because a gift expresses your value to the one receiving it. Because if it's cheap junk, then you don't have to. And you know, David said, I don't want to offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. <clears throat> the Lord understood this. And he says, listen, I want, don't want your junk. You know why? Because I'm a great king. I'm more important than anything else in your life. should be. So you offering things that are worthless... Folks, that, listen, a perfect-hearted offering reflects the Redeemer. A perfect-hearted offering recognizes his redemption, reflects the Redeemer, but then a perfect-hearted offering also represents our respect to who God is. <clears throat> I can't think of a story that is any more perfectly fit than what took place with a woman called Mary in uh, Bethany in Mark chapter 14, Verse number three, being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman <clears throat> having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And you know what? We find out later in another uh, gospel that this actually cost a year's wages for this m middle, 
middle class or even poor woman. It was a, a year's wages that was in this treasure. In this, she could have sold, she could have bargained for, she could have you know, traded for. <clears throat> she took this, probably her most prized possession that she had in her life. It was appointment of Spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. I mean, the whole thing just blew the whole thing. And, and this was perfume that was very, very potent. Um, you know, I get the kind of perfume that, you, you know, and you still can't smell it when I walk out of the house. You know, it's that perfume that's really, really expensive that you go like that and go, and then you got it for a week, you know. Can you imagine, can you imagine this box of ointment that was, that was concentrated like that, that was poured upon Jesus? I mean, just, and everybody in, in, the, in the house was, was hit with that. I mean, it was, it, was, it was evident. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. Wait, wait a minute, what kind of a reaction is that? That indignation among themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Oh, it was a waste. But you know what? It was not a waste because Mary understood who she was giving it to. She understood who forgave her, who pardoned her of her sin. And there was some kind of a, an understanding that she had it even more than the disciples for his future burial for what he was about to do, that he would say over and over and over again, but everybody was kind of just uh, unengaged. But she caught it. Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. A pence is a day's wage. It's like a, a year's worth of, of, of worth, of value in this box, blown all, about, all at once. But it could have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. And Jesus said in, in the Gospels, anytime this is known, it's going to be a memorial to her. He, he stood with her. He said that was proper. It wasn't even proper for the king of kings, but it was the best she had. And that, and that was appropriate. See, folks, because a perfect-hearted offering represents our respect to the king of kings. See, it didn't matter to this woman who criticized it. It didn't matter who was looking on and, and looking down their nose at her and saying, Oh, what a what an awful what how terrible you know that's it's just a sham fake it's 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 just a show. It didn't matter who was criticizing. She was doing it because of her love for him. It was for his burial. It was a sacrifice that she made, folks. I want to say that I live for him because of his sacrifice for me. I have peace with God now, and I have a perfect heart. And I can offer with a perfect heart. I love him because he first loved me. Folks, a per perfect-hearted offering is one that recognizes his redemption. It reflects the Redeemer. And it re represents our respect to him. See, it's only a perfect-hearted offering that is appropriate. A perfect-hearted offering changes the sacrifice from burdensome to blessing, from excessive to expected, from waste to 
to worship's reasonable due. Our text again, 1 Chronicles 29.9. And the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. Lost friend, could I beg you again today, now. Today's the accepted time, the Bible says. Today's the day of salvation. Get saved. Wouldn't you get saved so that you can offer from a perfect heart? Because you can't until you do. Believer, let's offer to the Lord our time, our talent, our labor, our gifts, our offering from a perfect heart in His honor. To honor the King. Every head bowed, nobody looking.